informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA. We certainly appreciate being a part of your day. And today, we're going to be turning our focus to what's happening in the markets, what's going on with economics, what's happening to our bottom lines. Today in segment one, we're going to be speaking in just a moment with Walter Kunish from HTS Commodities. In segment two, we're going to dig into the dairy market and what's developing there. Tanner Empty, lead economist for dairy and specialty crops over at Kobank, will be joining the show. Just completed his year-end wrap-up, and he's looking out to 2023. And in segment three, Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist with Stonex, will join the show. We'll dig into what's going on here in the corn and soybean markets. And then, of course, folks, we've still got a massive weather event taking place across the central and northern parts of the plains today. It's kicking off across the southeast. We'll end the show with a quick look at the weather. But let's kick things off here today. We are expecting some news later on this afternoon from the Federal Reserve. Joining us now to discuss what's happening in the markets is Walter Kunish, senior commodity strategist at HTS commodities. And Walter, it sounds like the trade's expecting 50 basis points hike from the uh, Jerome Powell later today. Is that in line with what you're thinking? It is. Good uh, Good to be back. And it's not only just what the trade is thinking and you know what I'm thinking, but I think you know, looking past today is that where is the Federal Reserve going to go and how is that going to impact you know, the agroeconomy? Today, the trade, myself, we're definitely looking for a 50 basis point rise. But looking into 2023, the Federal Reserve has been very clear about maintaining inflation by, by progressively increasing rates. Whether those are, you know, we see more 50s up front, perhaps 25s toward the mid, you know, 25 basis point increases toward the middle of the year. And what that means is that we can expect to see tighter credit and higher borrowing costs throughout uh, throughout the farm belt. And uh, Walter, given that CPI data reported last week showed inflation, be, including food and energy at 7%, do you think the Fed is working? Is their strategy playing out as they'd hoped? You know, it, it appears to it appears so. And the Fed strategy, as we see it, is to raise interest rates to suppress or slow domestic demand or kind of downstream consumer demand in the United States to offset some of the some of the supply pressures or price pressures farther up the supply chain. So when we look at some of the supply pressures, whether it's energy, oil, or even on the grain side, by raising interest rates, the Fed is certainly helping to slow down that demand to offset some of those price increases. And Walter, we're also seeing a lot of volatility in the value of the U.S. dollar. We've been talking about the dollar index on this program. It has been up and down. What's your trend thought here as we round out 2022? Is the trend down in the dollar index? You know, it certainly appears that way. And we think that's both a function of end of the year profit taking. The dollar has enjoyed a very you know robust ride for most of 2022. Um, and we see some of that depreciation, not only linked to end of the year profit taking, but also to the fact that perhaps the Fed is going to be slow, uh, slowing, slowing, excuse me, their interest rate rises. And what that does is that as the Fed is communicating that they want to decrease that pace, it allows investors the opportunity to assess markets, move away from the dollar into perhaps other risk, uh, other risk assets. Well, and as we're thinking about risk assets, of course, the commodities fall into that category in some cases. And Walter, I'm curious about the cotton market. Of course, so much of the U.S. cotton crop is exported to be made into textiles in Asia. With the dollar value coming down, is that going to be a tailwind for cotton prices? 
You know, we hope so. And uh, you know, the cotton complex for us at HTS Commodities has been somewhat of a fundamental mystery this year. Um, you know, we've been wrong on that primarily because we've seen, well, we've seen supply in the U.S. compressing. Uh, we've seen crude oil prices really fall. And what's interesting is that when we, our research shows that the correlation of the statistical relationship between cotton and crude oil is very tight. So I think when we look at cotton, yes, supplies in the U.S. have been very tight, but really we're looking to reopen the reopening in China to help provide some of those tailwinds. So when we look at, we know U.S. supplies are tight, but we are optimistic on further price appreciation of cotton. Walter, it's fascinating that crude and cotton trade in tandem. Can you talk a little bit about why that might be? You know, we believe it's from two different aspects. First, you know, we believe that, you know, the relationship or that relationship between cotton and crude has been so, so tight over the last few months is because both cotton and crude oil can be kind of a proxy for the, you know, for the health of the, you know, the domestic and global economy. And we believe that in part is that as, as the, the sentiments of the U.S. economy and the consumer being uh, somewhat fragile over the last few months has started to sour. We believe that cotton and crude oil are reflecting that that dismal mood and have kind of you know moved lower. All right. Well, I mean, I guess while we're thinking crude oil, Walter, we've seen again tremendous volatility in that Keystone pipeline shut off. Do you think the upside for crude is here in the near term? You know, it appears so, and I think some of, but, but I think a majority of the near side upturn in crude oil is you know is linked directly with some of the US export um, probabilities but also the reopening of China the reopening of China can help increase demand and while I know it's been an on and off story for the last several months you know we feel that it finally has you know Chinese the Chinese government is implementing policies that are very visible to the world that signals that that the that the central government is altering their stance on zero COVID, which perhaps can increase demand and help support U.S. crude prices. So we're going to see that demand come through in the crude market. We've seen it certainly already impacting prices there. Walter, as you look out more broadly in the ag category, is China's reopening going to be bullish for any specific commodity produced here in the U.S. besides crude? You know, it's hard to see. I mean, we, you know, we're optimistic on, you know, perhaps China coming back into the market and purchasing corn. Um, you were also optimistic on purchasing wheat, but again, and certainly soybeans. But when we look at those, you know, the three row crops, and we'll include cotton in there as well, a lot of that is dependent, that optimism is dependent upon not only just the strength of the dollar, but on the U.S. being able to export commodities at a cost-effective rate that's competitive inside the global, inside the global marketplace to China. Right now with these you know, with the complications on the Mississippi River and the strength of the U.S. dollar, the U.S. you know U.S. corn and wheat is not priced for to do business inside the global export markets. It's not, Walter. And given that we've got so many disjunctions happening in the global markets right now, are there anything you'd advise growers to be doing or thinking about before we get to the start of the new year? You know, I, that's a really good question, and we're looking at the at the whole paradigm for you know for global row crops. We know Ukraine continues to be a sore spot, continues to be a logistical problem for the for the rest of the world. But we've also seen over the last year that while Ukraine corn and wheat exports have certainly slowed to, uh, you know, 
to levels that we haven't seen in five years, you know, we are optimistic that other parts of the world are stepping in to kind of fill those supply gaps for corn and wheat. But we also too are advising right now, uh, you know, our clients to start really actively looking at some hedge strategies for corn, soybeans, and wheat in the new crop year. We know there's going to be weather problems throughout the United States. We know that um, you know growing conditions will always present challenges. But overall, we see the fundamental paradigm for market year 2023-24 with right now a little more down than upside risks. A little more down than upside risk in the year ahead, folks. That means be prepared and be aggressive. Folks, we've been talking with Walter Kunish, Senior Commodity Strategist at HTS Commodities. And Walter, thanks for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Stick around, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to dive into dairy with Tanner Emke, lead economist at CoBank, when AOA returns. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Vinacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's grown in the united states back to the farmer brian what do you see here going forward we're really excited to continue our partnership we've been broadcasting in the past live from the national cattlemen uh, beef association convention we're also going to be live at commodity classic this year in orlando this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa the archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the King of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We, we, we are, are the, the Foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. 
Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We talk markets, grain markets, cotton markets with Walter Kunish there in segment one. Now we're going to turn our focus to the dairy industry. Tanner Emke serves as the lead economist for dairy and specialty crops over at Kobeck, and they have recently compiled their end-of-the-year report, and Tanner had the opportunity to reflect on the dairy industry. And Tanner, what a year it has been. $25 milk at one point this past year, but of course $6 diesel and labor costs skyrocketing. The dairy industry has been on a balancing act this past year, haven't they? It's been an interesting year for sure, Mike, and I think it's one for the record books uh, on all those things that you mentioned in terms of milk price, in terms of production costs, and uh, we're bracing for 2023 where uh, a lot of those themes are going to continue, but it's going to be one of those stories where uh, the strong dollar we fear is going to be adding some more headwinds to our exports. we got a U.S. consumer, unfortunately, that's very stressed financially, and those production costs, unfortunately, are going to keep going up. They are. Tanner, let's talk about how things sit in the U.S. for dairy producers right now. We had those record high prices earlier in the year. They've come down since then. What have you seen overall for milk production in this country? Well, we continue to see a gradual recovery in uh, total milk uh, produced. Uh, a lot of that is owed really to productivity and the innovation and hard work of U.S. Uh, dairy farmers, really. Uh, that's been uh, a lot of the uh, recovery in uh, total milk production, but we are seeing some gradual incremental increases in uh, the total uh, herd size in the U.S. And again, it really comes down to those production costs we were talking about earlier, Mike. You, you mentioned uh, diesel prices being very high, labor costs being very high, the cost of steel and copper and cement and lumber to build new barns or uh, stainless steel for a uh, for new uh, you know, uh, milk uh, processing uh, uh, machinery. So all of those things have really restrained uh, the growth uh, of the U.S. herd. Now, that being said, we are on a gradual recovery path, and it's not just the United States. We need to point out that Europe as well uh, is seeing uh, a gradual recovery in milk supplies as well. So given that, that we're seeing uh, some recovery over in Europe, we're seeing some recovery in milk production in the U.S., that's really what's pulling down uh, milk prices. And at the same time, we have that very strong dollar that I mentioned earlier, Mike, that is a very strong headwind. So far, we've been able to continue this uh, very uh, strong export pace that has just been so resilient, really, I think, uh, has been the, the uh, a success story for uh, U.S. dairy farming. Um, but unfortunately, though, uh, with milk prices down following the recovery in production in the U.S. and over in Europe uh, and the strong dollar and uh, the resilience to production costs, we're bracing for what we're going to see in 2023. is probably going to be a theme of margin compression. Margin compression, Tanner, that has been a theme for a very long time in the dairy industry. And of course, those margins are compressed the furthest with the smallest producers. You mentioned we were, we're watching the herd change. And I'm curious, as the, the smaller producers are, are forced out, as they can't compete with the economies of scale, are we still seeing those cows in the nationwide herd? Are they just moving to a larger dairy? 
I'd say uh, the change here is twofold. Yes, uh, we're seeing uh, larger dairies get larger, uh, but also uh, it's that migration of the U.S. dairy herd to those inland states. We're talking about places like Texas and South Dakota and uh, eastern or western Kansas and eastern Colorado, uh, those places that have cheaper feed costs, really, and uh, lower labor costs. And so you're seeing a recovery of the herd in those areas, whereas in other parts of the country where costs have really been very resilient, uh, we're seeing a harder time for producers to respond to those uh, high milk prices that we saw. And so there is a transition here from uh, – uh, from smaller dairies over to bigger dairies and further into those uh, lower cost inland states. All right. We'll continue to see the face of the dairy industry change into 2023. Tanner, before we move to the exports and the global dairy picture, can you talk a little bit about the U.S. demand picture? You mentioned consumers are struggling. There's inflation in play. What's your expectation for demand this next year? We've already seen uh, a trend this year, Mike, where consumers are pushing back on those higher uh, price products. Uh, for instance, they're trading down from brands to uh, store labels. They're trading down uh, from premium products and commodity products. So that would include something like trading down from, say, smoked Gouda uh, cheese down to uh, a block of cheddar cheese. Uh, so things like that where the consumer is trying to uh, reduce their uh, grocery bill. They may start shopping at places like Walmart or Costco uh, rather than shopping at Whole Foods, for instance. So they're, they're making all kinds of innovative measures there to reduce the grocery bill without having to actually reduce total consumption of dairy products. And I think that is key. Food is something that not too many people can go without, right? And I think that what the U.S. consumer is trying to do here is maintain their level of consumption without having to actually uh, uh, without having to trade down too much on total amount of consumed. So I think it's a story here where the U.S. consumer wants to maintain that level of dairy con consumption, with, uh, but at a lower cost. That makes sense. I know we've spoken with Professor Glenn Tonser from Kansas State on this program about meat demand going forward. We're seeing the same thing play out there. Consumers really want that meat. They want that beef, but maybe rather than a ribeye, they're going to ground beef. Makes sense. They do the same thing in the dairy side. Tanner, I know that the U.S. market is huge for dairy producers, but those exports have been adding more and more value to the bottom line over recent years. And you mentioned that strong dollar creating a headwind into this next year. Where do you see exports going given the balancing act that's ahead? Well, USDA has uh, already come out with their forecast for 2023, and they're anticipating uh, dairy exports to come back a little bit off of uh, this year's record pace. And that is to be expected with a slowing global economy, a uh, very strong dollar that we anticipate is going to continue to strengthen, uh, given that uh, the Federal Reserve is going to continue tightening the monetary supply. Uh, that is going to lift the value of the dollar. And then at the same time, we've got some global concerns uh, economically with Europe and their energy crisis, with uh, China and their COVID situation as it is. And so with weakening uh, economies there, uh, that's going to be hard to export into those markets when their economies uh, are weakening and their currencies are weakening versus the dollar. So there are indeed some very strong headwinds there uh, into some very important markets, especially China, uh, going forward. Now, that being said, we always have to go back to the basic supply-demand situation, Mike, before we start getting too bearish 
on exports. We have a situation over in uh, New Zealand and uh, Australia where dairy producers are struggling with inclement weather, but mainly the, uh, the big problem there for those producers to grow their production and respond to record high milk prices is their sustainability laws that are requiring them to reduce cow numbers and thereby reducing milk supply. Therefore, we have an export opportunity here into those Asian markets when you see New Zealand stepping back uh, on their dairy production. So I, I would say it's a mixed bag or a mixed story, if you will, on the export front for dairy. We've got some very powerful headwinds in regards to our, very, our strong currency and the weakening economy over in China. But I think there is some, a positive story here with New Zealand stepping back uh, from their production capacity and thereby leaving the door open for the U.S. to perhaps gain market share into those important Asian markets. It is exciting to watch that potential for market open up as Australia and New Zealand restrict their own dairy industry. And of course, Tanner, those uh, those ideas in Australia and New Zealand really originated in Europe. We've seen the Netherlands announce they're going to be closing many livestock farms, 3,000 here in the near future. Does that open the potential for more U.S. dairy into Europe over the coming years? There is that potential. Uh, keep in mind, uh, Europe is a is a very strong dairy ex, uh, producer, of course, uh, uh, and so uh, the Europeans are going to take care of their needs first. And I would say uh, where the opportunity is here is again on the export market. The Europeans are going to be stepping back uh, from the export market. Uh, there may be some opportunity for us to increase our exports into Europe, but I, I see the real opportunity here is in the export markets that uh, Europe is going to be abandoning uh, to satisfy their uh, sustainability uh, initiatives. And that European export market, Tanner, where does most of their dairy go? A lot of that dairy export out of a lot of the dairy exports out of Europe go into uh, the, the Middle Eastern market, uh, down to Africa, and of course there are major exporters uh, into China. And so we're going to see the Europeans step away from those uh, emerging markets, and that's going to be a, a benefit to, to the United States. I think specifically when it comes to ingredients and powders, but I would say cheese is going to be a part of that too. Um, it's it's going to be that story where. You know, I think we could probably benefit on a whole number of different products. All right. Some opportunities coming in the export market if we can overcome those dollar value headwinds. Folks, we've been talking with Tanner MP, lead economist for dairy and specialty crops at CoBank. And Tanner, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to continue our market conversation, dig into corn, soy, and wheat with Arlen Suderman, chief commodities economist at Stonex, when we return. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we take a look at what's going on in grains and livestock, moderately lower in quartered soybeans. Wheat finding a bit more pressure, though, here as we work through the early rounds of trade on Wednesday. Livestock trade relatively mixed. All eyes are on the Federal Reserve as we'll wait for their updated monetary policy coming out on Wednesday early afternoon as the stock market is relatively quiet ahead of that news, up about 140 points in the Dow. We see crude oils up about 1%, up about $1.10 a barrel as we work through our early trading session on Wednesday. The U.S. dollar index has gone down to new lows and is hovering right around it, down 16 points at 103.77. But again, can't really uh, explain a lot of the follow-through pressure in wheat. Some of it could be tied to the uh, Black Sea region getting exports back out of the port of Odessa again after the weekend drone strikes. Other than that, though, it just feels like maybe a little bit of profit taking here in the wheat market while quarter beans are just showing some of that uh, light profit taking here, maybe following wheat to the downside. Livestock trade, uh, again, mixed. Not a whole lot of activity in cash cattle country here as we work through midweek. Still waiting for more activity. Asking prices around 156 to 158 the south, but not established as of yet in the north. Hog market had a wild ride on the day Tuesday and so far liquidating a little bit here. December contract goes off the board today. It's pretty much in line with the cash index. February will take over at about a dollar and a half premium to the cash index here. It looks like tomorrow. In early trading, we see corn features down about four to six, soybeans two to four lower, with wheat futures 10 to 15 lower in Chicago, and KC wheat down around 20 cents, spring wheat down about 10 to 15 as well. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We appreciate you joining us today for this discussion. And today's discussion is focused on what's happening to our bottom line. We're taking a look at the markets. We're talking now with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Arlen, thanks for joining us today. Good to be back with you, Mike. 
Let's start in the grain markets today. Arlen, if you would, we're seeing a substantial amount of red on the screen, but they're not big losses. What's the trade digging through today? Uh, it's kind of drifting today. We had the big gains yesterday as the dollar really fell apart. Uh, the dollar is stabilized somewhat today, so we don't have that story. It's kind of in this holiday malaise period between Thanksgiving and New Year's when there's not a lot of market-moving news. It's, and so we're just searching for direction, considering that we had the gains yesterday. That means a little bit of profit-taking and pullback today. And Arlen, of course, we're the, seeing the trade watch for that federal uh, Fed announcement later on today from Jerome Powell. Let's assume the numbers come in where the trade is expecting at a 50 basis point hike. How does that impact the grain markets looking out? Yeah, I think the bigger thing is not just going to be the numbers, but kind of the tone of the press conference afterwards, as well as the dot plot graphic. Right now, the market has built in expectations that, uh, like you said, a 50 basis point rate hike, followed by the next couple of meetings, maybe 25 basis point rate hikes, and then things are flat from March on at around four and three quarter percent for the benchmark rate, and then start to decline by this fall, by this coming fall. Um, I, I think the Fed's going to be more aggressive than that. I think they're going to take things higher. While I think they're going to be with 50 basis points this time, I think they're going to try to communicate, hey, while we're seeing some positives in inflation, we still have some significant problems. And one of the key components of inflation is wage inflation. And the service sector, which is very labor-intensive, now makes up well over half of our total inflation, and we're not going to be able to hit our 2% mandated target unless we address wage inflation. And we've done very little, if anything, to, to tackle that at this point. So I think what they're going to communicate with that dot plot graphic, where they all put down where they think uh, inter that interest rate is going to be at the end of this year, at the end of next year, at the end of the next couple of years beyond that, and I think then that plus the statements of Fed Chair Jerome Powell and the press conference that follows are going to be all about how we need to have higher rates for a longer period of time in order to really address this, bring a little bit of soberness to the marketplace. Um, that's what I'm expecting out of it. What impact will that have on the commodities? Well, based on past meetings when this has happened, because the market's underestimated the Fed now just about every meeting, we see a sharp sell-off in, in the equities, and that tends to weigh on the commodities for a period of time. And, and then the, the equities continue under pressure, and the commodities are kind of in that mode of trading recession again. And recession means, oh, no, people are going to not be buying as many commodities, and so it tends to hang a cloud over the market, and so it makes it difficult to sustain rallies in the commodities. Indeed it does, folks. So we'll have that announcement from Fed Chair Jerome Powell this afternoon. We'll see the impact on the trade tomorrow. But Arlen, as you mentioned, this is a slow news period with one big exception. Of course, that's South America. Can you take us down to Brazil? What are your expectations doing for that first soybean crop in that country? Are they starting to come down on production or does it still look good in Brazil? Yeah, our team in Brazil does a customer survey of what they think the crop's going to yield for corn and soybeans at the beginning of each month. So we'll get another update on January 2nd. But their November report put the soybean crop at 155 million metric tons. That's a pretty big crop. It's up over a billion bushels from last year's crop. So that's a massive change in production. And, produ and the crop's really doing pretty well. In talking to them this week, they haven't collected the data yet, 
but they kind of expect that number to come down a little bit, not significantly, but come down a little bit in the January survey. So we'll have to see how that plays out. We did see the, uh, CONAB, which is their equivalent of USDA, lower its estimate slightly. Now, it's only a couple million metric tons below our estimate, so it's not significant percentage-wise, uh, but the trend was clear come down. And, and basically, we're looking at very good yields, it looks like, in the northern part of the crop belt, and we're seeing a little bit more drought stress in the southern part of the crop belt. They should start harvesting the earliest soybeans that were planted in Meta Grasso there in the center west district here over the next two weeks with the harvest really kind of picking up speed in January, and that'll give us a much better handle on yields. Absolutely. And of course, as that harvest comes off, our focus will turn to Brazil's export. But Arlen, we've been seeing some purchases go on their books already for this new crop. Do you know how sales look this year compared to years past for that country? Yeah, really pretty good. And, and China basically buys from the United States when it has to because it can't get enough from Brazil or Argentina. Um, and so that's kind of the pattern that we're seeing once again. We estimate that Chinese buyers need to buy about another million and a half metric tons of U.S. soybeans, which should be about 55 million bushels, in order to fill the gap ahead of those Brazilian supplies coming available. That's assuming that weather doesn't slow the harvest or slow the loading of the ships. Um, if that gets delayed, then it, it turns into more U.S. sales. But once Brazilian supplies become available, Brazil will become the predominant supplier of China and many other countries as well until those supplies run out. And the size of the crop will determine whether they run out during the summertime or they run out next fall while we're harvesting soybeans. So that's going to be the real key going forward. But we anticipate things switching over to Brazilian supplies. As you look at the new crop purchases of Brazil and some Argentine supplies, pretty much going as per normal. They've got purchases already in March, all the way through May. Not all their needs met, um, but they're slowly adding to those each week and, and uh, getting their coverage added. Arlen, you mentioned Argentina soy sales there, and we've seen that country bring back their soy dollar program. You discussed it last time you were on, where they're paying additional money to farmers who sell soy. How's that program going this time around? Back in September, it, that program encouraged farmers to sell about 12 million metric tons of soybeans. Uh, this time around, it started in the last couple few days of November and is supposed to go through December. And so far, it's resulted in farmers selling about 3 million metric tons of soybeans. Now, uh, that means that their old crop supplies are starting to draw down. Uh, new crop harvest doesn't start for quite some time yet. So that's one of the reasons they're going slower. Last time, exporters got a big chunk of that, and that's why China was able to buy those cheaper supplies and avoid those, and that reduced sales of U.S. soybeans to China. That's what Chinese buyers thought would happen again this time as well, and it didn't. They were not able to get a hold of those supplies. They went right to the crushers instead, and that's why we saw a surge here in the last couple of weeks of uh, particularly in the last week to 10 days of Chinese buyers coming to the United States to buy soybeans to quickly try to fill that gap for December and January shipment. And like I said, I think we'll be buying some more. Um, but the program in Argentina will continue through the end of this month. 
All right, that will be a uh, potential headwind if they start to get those sales ramped up. Arlen, let's turn our focus over to the protein market. Cattle trade this week. Have we had any cash trade that you've heard of? And, and do you think the, the the wind is at the back of the, the market here? Or are we waiting on the inflation number, the uh, Fed number? Well, these t this tends to be a slow time um, for the market because we're going into the holiday period. Most of the uh, retail demand for the higher cats for the holiday uh, parties and stuff has already been acquired, so we tend to see demand soften a little bit into the holidays, uh, both for product and for cattle. And we are seeing that slow slaughter totals go down. Uh, this week's totals expected to be about 640, 645,000 head. Uh, we've seen estimates for next week's slaughter as low as 620,000 head, and that's a fairly seasonal. And what we have to make sure is that doesn't start to back up supplies. Um, it should tighten and support the product market, but it could back up the cattle a little bit. As we get into next year, though, and this is what's providing support for the market overall and underlying underneath of this market, we're anticipating that in the first quarter of next year, we're going to see total beef production fall about 5% year on year as we start to see cow herd contraction, breeding herd contraction start to finally result in fewer cattle being fed and slaughtered. And as we get toward the back half of 2023, production is going to be down about 9% year on year. So overall next year we expect beef production to be down 8%. That's really going to tighten up supplies that is expected to really support the product prices. The question is what will the consumer be willing to pay? Uh, it is interesting, yesterday's consumer price index, the CPI numbers that came out, it showed beef prices down 5% year on year. That's good for the consumer. That's good for consumer demand. Will we be able to sustain that over the coming year? Probably not. We're probably going to see those beef prices in the grocery store going back up once again as the supplies tighten up. And we'll just have to see how's the economy doing during that period of time and will it be doing well enough for the consumer to be willing to pay those higher prices for that beef? Arlen, you mentioned end of the first quarter, 23, you expect to see beef production down 5% later in the year, down 9%. Do you think the fat cattle deferred contracts have that amount priced in at this moment? Yeah, I really don't think they are uh, priced in because I think there's that question of what's the consumer going to be willing to pay. And so the funds are going to be a little bit cautious of pricing that in until they see what the demand story is going to be tied to the consumer. And a lot of that comes back to what's the Fed going to do today? The bigger, the, the more hawkish the Fed is, the more the market's going to worry about recession in 2023. The more dovish they are, the more the, 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 the market's going to say, oh, okay, things are going to be okay. All right, be paying attention to Jerome Powell's press conference. Watch that dot plot. And as always, Arlen Suderman, thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate your insights. Thank you, Mike. Folks, that was Arlen Suderman from StoneX. And stick around before we go for the day. We're going to run through a couple of other news events that are moving the ag industry. Stick around for AOA. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. 
you can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks on site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. 
Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA. Before we go for the day, I did just want to have an update here on a couple of uh, pieces of news that are certainly moving the ag industry. And this one goes out to you folks in the Northern Plains. If your plans today, ladies and gentlemen, involve traversing North Dakota, South Dakota, or Nebraska, you might want to put those plans on hold. A massive winter storm is taking aim at the Northern Plains right now. Interstates 80, 90 and 94 are all closed so are most of the the secondary roads of course emergency vehicle travel only in that part of the world as of now the entire state of north dakota remains under a winter storm warning south dakota divided about 50 50 between winter storm warning in the northeastern portion of the state blizzard warning in the western and southwestern half of the state that far southeast quadrant sioux falls that area that just got hammered yesterday by both ice and snow should expect to see a little bit of a break today as this system wraps its way around. It's going to bring some strong winds down all the way through Nebraska. Those blizzard conditions continue on through the sand hills. And of course, there is some winter weather advisory out ahead of that event. Now, for folks in the Dakotas, they're talking between 20 and 30 inches of snow. By the time this is all said and done, the storm is going to continue to float around in the northern plains. It is currently doing a big counterclockwise rotation. That cold air is going to come sweet down from the north and this system will take its sweet time to exit the area the snow wind and precipitation not coming to an end until thursday potentially friday in some cases so that's in the northern great plains and then of course down across the southeast this massive storm is continuing to cause trouble we've got flooding risks or uh, uh, tornado threats here throughout the delta region and farther south and east and then this thing stretches all the way up into new england we're seeing the vast majority of new york state covered with ice storm warning and ice advisory freezing rain and sleet all expected from west virginia washington dc on up north into Maine. This storm is going to have some impacts. We heard from Arlen. We heard from Walter. We'll see how this impacts the cattle trade as we go throughout this week. That is going to be a struggle, particularly for those cattle producers up in the Dakotas. Folks, if you're working to keep those calves and cows safe and healthy on your ranch, we wish you the best of luck and hopefully this storm system blows over, adding moisture and not adding too much heartache on your operation. We'll continue to provide updates here on AOA as this storm system makes its way across the country here in the coming days. And uh, hopefully everything goes okay. Taking a look at some of the other factors that are moving our markets, we've got poultry production potentially moving in to a brighter area. 
production forecast trends according to the USDI for broiler production specifically, they are expected to move higher despite the HPAI, that avian influenza threat, that continues to make its way through the poultry industry. Now, they do believe that the uh, production forecast is going to increase 11.5 billion pounds and uh, up to 12 billion pounds in the third quarter. That would make 2023 broiler production totals 46.8 billion pounds. Now, the good news is USDA also anticipates we'll see a little bit greater demand on the export picture. Broiler exports are expected to increase by 158 million pounds. That breaks down to about 2.2%. Domestically, we are seeing some uh, price breaks happening in poultry. Chicken tender prices, in fact, saw the sharpest decline. They dropped from $3.52 per pound in May to $1.46 per pound in October. A little over $2 drop there in the price of those chicken tender prices. Some good news in this inflationary era as uh, consumers continue to find ways to keep their money. You know, earlier in the program, we spoke with Walter about yesterday's inflation report. The CPI data comes out from uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it is very, very closely watched by the trade. Of course, the Fed takes its uh, its cues from the CPI report. We see equity investors look at the numbers in there and make their trades. And of course, we see the same thing on the commodity side. Now, it's understandable that when these reports drop, and uh, like for example, that one came out at 8.30, at 8.30 on the dot, as soon as that report comes out, those high-frequency computer traders digest the information and start trading. We always see a huge spike in trading activity the millisecond a report gets released from the government. What was interesting yesterday was that there was a huge surge of activity in the equity and in the bond markets about a minute before the report got released. Now, this has created some questions for market watchers. They're wondering, is there the possibility that that inflation data was leaked ahead of the official release by the Uncle Sam yesterday? Now, it's unsure. Market uh, analysts are still breaking down the movement yesterday, but they note that it is very very rarely that we see a surge in activity ahead of a report, particularly if that surge in activity is in the right direction. A lot of these folks were buying up equities and selling bonds, expecting that inflation was going to come down. And that is indeed what played out. So do expect that we'll be hearing more about this and perhaps an investigation. Uh, It was asked yesterday at a White House uh, press conference if uh, potentially somebody from the White House could have leaked it. And the White House press secretary said too much fuss was being made over, quote, minor market movements. So we'll see. This will be continued to look into, no doubt, by folks who watch these factors very, very closely. We do have some other news here from Uncle Sam. Uh, The USDA, of course, we've spoken a lot on this program about their Climate Smart Partnership funding. This is the program that the USDA is rolling out using CCC funds, and they're trying to get some money out there to get some pilot programs going to be more sustainable, largely speaking. And it was announced yesterday that 325 million new federal grants in these initiatives have been rolled out. And importantly, I think there were several beef producers or protein producers who were included in the mix. Uh, There was a group in the Ohio River Valley who's going to work for climate smart farming practices among mid-sized agricultural enterprises. They got just shy of $5 million. There's a group doing waste to plate, building circular economies and shorter supply chains for livestock reared on regenerative dry land range with organic amendments. Uh, That group got uh, just about $3.5 million to continue their research. And expanding the participation of marginal producers 
producers and landowners to promote climate smart agriculture and forestry forestry practices rather uh, that was an amount went to Alabama A&M University Virginia State University Tuskegee University and the University of Maryland Eastern Shore got about five million dollars to dig into this we are going to continue to see these numbers come out USDA this was the second tranche of announcements in that climate smart partnership funding we'll see will this continue in the new year as Republicans take over and look more closely at these programs Folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. Tomorrow, we'll continue our discussion of issues that matter to agriculture. We hope that you will join us. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Joining us today, we're going to be talking with Brian Thalman. He's the Corn Board Liaison for the Market Development Action Team. And we'll also be speaking with Denny Vinacotter, the Market Development Action Team's Vice Chairman. Denny, when we think about that Market Development Action Team, what is it that they do over there at NCGA? We are just trying to look for that next thing to grind more bushels of corn feed fuel fiber we're just trying to expand bring more value for every bushel of corn that's grown in the united states back to the farmer brian what do you see here going forward we're really excited to continue our partnership we've been broadcasting in the past live from the national cattlemen uh, beef association convention we're also going to be live at commodity classic this year in orlando this monthly grind recap is sponsored by the national corn growers association be sure to tune in the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind here on aoa through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.